through 12. For God alone, my soul, waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They alone, they alone plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is in my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that as we look to this psalm, to your word, you'll be with us, that you'll help us to hear and see you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, so the psalms are wonderful expressions of just human honesty. I've heard them even referred to as the case studies of faith. And if you've ever found yourself in a position where it feels like the world is plotting against you, where it feels like things are falling apart, where it feels like you just don't know where to hang on to, sometimes there's a psalm that comes to your mind or, or helps you to anchor yourself. And I think this is one of those anchoring type psalms. Psalm 62 is one that tells us who God is and how to relate to him. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Some of us come into Sunday morning having already been shaken this week. Some of us have uh, health issues, relationship issues, things going on with our children or our spouse or our former spouses. We might have a boss at work who's just, for some reason, intent on making whatever misery they're in everybody else's. I'm sure we've all had to figure out how to weather those storms, right? And in those times, where do we turn? To whom do we turn? It's interesting. Um, the NRSV translates this, this Hebrew text, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And, and the NIV says, um, truly my soul finds rest in God. Okay? For God alone my soul waits, and truly my soul finds rest. That seems wildly different, doesn't it? And it's funny because it all hinges on this little Hebrew word, which I rarely ever tried to show any Greek or Hebrew. Um, one, because I was very bad at it. And two, I don't think my pronunciation is correct at all. 
Um, so if you do know the correct one, just tell, tell me later. It'll be nice. But it's just a little word with a little breath mark and then an A and a K. Ak. Ak. It's, it means either alone or only, or it has an affirmative meaning of truly or indeed. This, this term has a both and, and I think the author is probably trying to give us a, 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 a little bit of play on words so that both meanings come through. Both meanings. Now let me go back to it. For God alone, the restrictive meaning, only. God only, for God only, my soul waits. Versus the other way, the affirmative. Truly my soul, indeed my soul finds rest in God. It's interesting that this word only shows up in the Psalms 150 psalms that only shows up 24 times, and it shows up six of those 24 times in this one psalm. So it's kind of a big picture of this one hymn that they sang years and years ago. Um, Verse 1, for God alone, ak, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He, verse 2, he alone, ak, is my rock and my salvation. Verse 4, their only, ak, plan is to bring down person of prominence. Verse 5, for God alone, Ak, is my soul and waits in silence. He alone, verse 6, is my rock and my salvation. And verse 9, those of low estate are but only a breath. You can kind of see how there might be an opportunity for us to insert that meaning of either alone or only, or insert truly or indeed. For God indeed is my soul waits in silence. For he indeed is my rock of salvation. For their only plan, their, indeed their plan is to bring down people of prominence. For God, indeed, my soul waits. He, indeed, is my rock and salvation. And those of low estate are indeed but a breath. The truth is that the Hebrew term is a kind of a double entendre. Each point carries a sense of what the, each word means. To wait for God alone means to wait for God indeed. To wait for God alone. That singles out the fact that when we are shaken, when we are threatened, when we are in a place and time in our life where we aren't certain or in control, there is only one place to turn. God alone. Remember when the, the, these folks were worshiping in these times and these hymns were written, they were in a, in a monolatrous time. They, 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 they weren't monotheists where they thought there was only one possible God and only one God in reality. They thought, well, this is the God of my people. It's just that my God is bigger than your God. And so they're trying to say that in the pantheon of options out there, in the tribal landscape of all the possible deities to turn to, and many cultures had many deities. Who do you turn to to get the snow to come? Who do you turn to to get the snow to stop? Who do you turn to to have the crops grow? Who do you turn to to protect you? Who do you turn to to, to, to win the battle? There's a, there's a lot of options. But not so for the Jewish people, not so for the Hebrews, because they said, we have one God and one God alone, and he is the supreme God. Amongst all the other gods, our God is the creator. Our God is the designer. Our God is the sustainer. Our God is the supreme, preeminent God of all. 
So to wait for God alone is an appropriate and proper way for us to sit, to turn to God alone. And the, but we also do it with that assurance. We, to truly hope in God means that we must only hope in God. And when we truly hope, it's not just because we know that there is only one God, but that that God is for us. That God is available. The God is accessible to you, to you, to us. We have one God and only one restrictive, but moreover, to have only one God is to know exactly, precisely, definitively to whom we entrust our lives, to God indeed. Those who follow the Old Testament God, trust in God alone and God indeed. And so what is this person, the psalmist, asking us to do when we are feeling like life is a little bit unstable or unpredictable? How does he describe? My God is a rock. My God is my salvation. My God is a fortress. My God is my deliverance. My God is my refuge. Where do we turn to for refuge? Sometimes churches leave the door open and you can go in and just sit. Uh, last week, we were taking a, a friend of ours, his, his young man, he, his girlfriend from Mexico City, first of all, was up, and she got to experience snow. She was freezing. It was funny. I asked if she had to buy a whole new wardrobe just to come up to visit, and she said yes, because I guess the lowest it gets there is maybe like 50. She was up, and we were walking around Princeton, New Jersey, and we just stopped, and there's a beautiful Catholic church there. And we just walked in, and we're just, you know, tourists looking at the beautiful building. But you can see that there were people who were up and just sitting in solitude, sitting in prayer. They were coming into the sanctuary to use it as a sanctuary. They came in to pray. They came in to be. They came in to be still. A little bit further, we walked on, and then we crossed over, we went on to the university, and the university, you know, the auspicious university in said town, has a, has, has a chapel. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the chapel at Princeton University. It's a cathedral. It's spectacular. I had the privilege of having a, a, a seminary graduation service there once. It was humorously awkward, but that's a different story. But you walk in, and again, this mausoleum of a day gone by, and yet there's a people scattered, just sitting and finding refuge. God is a rock. Some people love rocks. My wife happens to be one of those people. She'll often care. Do you have a rock in your pocket today? You do, okay. Why? She likes the way they feel. She likes the way they feel. There's something oddly permanent about rocks, aren't there? That's why when you see a stone building, don't you sit there and go, oh, that's nice. I, it was my wife's grandmother who told us that out in the countryside in the rural Pennsylvania, that's why all the stone buildings used to actually have stucco because they didn't at the time think of the stone buildings as that beautiful. That's just what poor people built homes with because it was free. And so they were embarrassed by the stone, and so they stuccoed over it. And now we go out and buy up these properties, and what do we do? 
Get rid of that stucco. Repoint the stone. We want to see the permanence. And God is our rock. God is our fortress. Jesus, on his sermon, he said that a, a, a life grounded on God is like one who's made his house upon what? A rock. God is my fortress and refuge. He's my deliverer. There's such a sense of strength in this description of God, the only God and the God indeed to whom we can turn, the God who indeed is accessible to you and I today, the God who indeed has a plan for our lives, who has this church in his hand and who has not forgotten us or forsaken us, the God who will see to completion the work that he began in Christ Jesus. At times we may feel oppressed, by others. At times we may feel that our life is slipping out of our control. At times we may look into the mirror and not recognize the wrinkles that have come and the age that is t- taking away the goodness of life. But God will not be shaken. God will not be scattered. God will not disappoint and God will not disappear because he is the God, my rock, my salvation, my refuge. Verse 3 The psalmist says, how long will you assail a person? How long will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall or a tottering fence? There might be times in your life where you feel like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. You might feel like that tree that's about to break. That's okay. But whom, to whom are we fearing? Are we fearing other humans? Are we fearing other humans to oppress us who are themselves, as verse 9 says, but a breath? In the balances? Why do we fear them when we have a God who's eternal? When we have a God who's a refuge? We have a God who's a fortress. The image here is quite literally playing with how much breath weighs on the ancient balances. We can weigh our human adversaries. We can weigh our uh, sickness and disease. We can weigh the, the torment and troubles of this world and put it on the scales against God, my rock and fortress. Human beings are essentially weightless in that scenario. So when we are surrounded, when we are stressed, when we are anxious, how do we stop to discover the psalmist's truths? I think the key is in verse 1 and verse 5. For alone my soul waits in silence. Truly my soul finds rest in God. For alone my soul waits in silence. And truly, yes, my soul will find rest in God. Jesus, as was his custom, what would he do almost every day? He would get up. And he would go out to a secret place. They weren't very secret, by the way. He must have gone to these places often enough, the same places often enough, that they knew where to find. Think about that. Judas knew where to go find Jesus. Oh, yeah, he's going to be praying. Yeah. Uh, One of like two or three places. Let's go check. Oh, yep, there he is in the garden. Yeah, this is his favorite. Do you have a favorite space? Do you have a favorite secret place? Do you have that space? where you can go and merely just sit in the presence of God to sit and know that he is present with you and know that you are loved. For some, it might be the lunch break in Princeton where they walk into the back of a church and just sit. 
For others, it might be you have a little chair that's yours. I remember the sweet stories of Betty Pearson, one of a beloved member who just passed just a short few months ago. Until her body was unable to sit on her spot on her couch, she had her spot. And next to that spot was her end table and her lamp and her stack of books that she wanted to read about Jesus. I only learned about this because it was her son-in-law that said one time he sat in the spot. And she's like, nice to meet you. Now get out of my seat. (laughs) It was more colorful. It was funny. I'll tell you later. Where's your spot? Where's your secret place? Is it going for a walk in your neighborhood? Is it taking your dog for a walk or your cat? Do you take, I don't know, do you take cats for walks? Sonia just said yes. Good to know. Friends, I encourage you. If you are in these storms of life, these times where you're feeling surrounded or you're wondering, you're feeling like that tottering fence and you're about to topple over, find your secret spot and go to it like Jesus did. As was his custom, he rose early and went to a quiet place, a deserted place, a garden, a walk. Jesus was known for this. Henry Nouwen, the great uh, Catholic writer, said, Without solitude, it is nearly impossible to live a spiritual life. Let me say that again. Without solitude, it is nearly impossible to live a spiritual life. Now, for some of you, you already know this. And, and maybe a smaller percent of you, you already know this and you live this. And then there's some of us that have never really experienced, except in brief moments, solitude or quiet. I remember I was hearing a study that out in the middle of forests and something like that, they said that some researchers were setting up um, Uh, 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 microphones to record and trying to get pure silence and they couldn't because these microphones were good and they would pick up the highway noise miles away they would pick up the airplane noise going over they would pick up the fact that there's how many of you hear the electricity in this building can you hear it is that a thing by the way of age am I just getting to a point where I'm starting to hear electricity is that going to get louder hope not. But you can hear all these noises. We, we are constantly bombarded with distraction and entertainment and, and, and issues. Silence and solitude and prayer, listening prayer. These first two verses uh, uh, translated by uh, Eugene Peterson, he said, God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says. God, the one and only. I'll wait as long as he says. Everything I need comes from him, so why not? I love Eugene. He's a rock, solid rock under my feet, breathing room for my soul, an impregnable castle. I am set for life. What a beautiful picture of resting and waiting and being silent in God. Some of us, I remember a friend of mine who was, um, we were all raised in the church. We were all youth group kids, and some of us were, you know, the, the, on, the, on the straight and narrow path, and some of us were on the less narrow path. And this friend who was on the less narrow path at the time in high school, 
He said, I never, one time during a Bible study, he said, um, I, I, I never don't have music playing. He loved music. He was in a band. He played. He did. I'm like, okay, you, you always have music playing. But then he interrupted. And he said, because if I find silence, I have to face myself. It was the first time at age 19 I ever even thought about anything like that. But isn't that true? If we don't carve out times for silence, we don't have time for God to be able to speak to us. Or at least it makes it a lot harder. God is our fortress, our rock, our refuge, whether or not you are aware of it, whether or not you are feeling it. Our perception of the moment does not shape God's faithfulness, nor his fortitude, nor his um, stability, nor his infinite strength and presence. So let us become, to become aware and to taste God's goodness, to taste God's faithfulness and presence in our lives, we need to carve out a space to seek him to rest in him, to be silent before him. What battles against us to do that? Did anybody have a busy week? Would you describe your week as busy? Mine was supposed to be busy, and then I had two snow days. But then it became busy with making sure that we shoveled. I got to use my new snowblower. I mean, it's four years old, but this is the first year I got to use it. It was really exciting. I just started doing everybody's sidewalks just because they were there. It was fun. And then we had to, like, you know, dry off the clothes and then get ready to go out and play and throw snowballs. And then you had to come back in. And I'm on, I always get to have hot chocolate duty. And if we're going to have snow day hot chocolate duty, we are not going to have Swiss mix packets. Now, we are starting with milk, we're throwing in chocolate chips, a little pinch of cinnamon, a little pinch of salt, a big old splash of vanilla. We are making hot chocolate for the ages. Maybe we find our solitude while we're just stirring, while we're cooking, while we're providing. Maybe, I, I don't have any experience in this one, but maybe while folding laundry. I don't know, that, I don't know, it seems, it seems weird. What is it that battles against us? Is it our busyness? Is it our constant need for and access to entertainment? Oh, I left it down. Is it our phones? Is it that our constant access to internet? You see, in this, in this digital age, what are we promised? The digital age, the very cell phones that we have and possess promise us what? Everything is at your disposal. If you get hungry, even during this sermon, you can just discreetly Uber, Uber Eats will meet you outside. <laughs> Who delivers Uber Eats here in town? All, any of them? All of them? No, you all are like, no, you're being silent because you don't want me to know that you're going to order out during, during the sermon. It's, it promises ease, it promises speed, it promises total accessibility at our whim. But God is not like that, is he? God, I want an answer and I want it now. Have you prayed that prayer to God before? I have. And I've often gotten, okay, wait. Sit. Be still and know that I'm God. All these things wage war against us, but so... 
What do we need? What do we need to be able to be silent and wait in silence for God? Do we need to do less? Often we come and we hear sermons about how to get close to God or how to serve God or how to live a spiritually mature life, and we end up having a new list of what? To-dos. We end up starting to add up, okay, what I need to do is I need to pray an hour a day. I need to read my Bible an hour a day. I probably ought to get like 12 hours of sleep. And then you start just making a list of all these things that you're supposed to do to somehow unlock the keys that Jesus will finally meet with you. Does that make sense? And yet, I'm just here to tell you today, in order to connect with God, instead of saying yes to a bunch of things, we probably ought to start saying no to more things. To create space. Do less. We, we, need to, we do need to actually intentionally seek his voice. And by the way, this isn't something that, okay, I'm going to go do this, and now I'm going to encounter God in the same way that you might know that there's a spring out by road such and such in the corner or somewhere, and you go and you expect the spring to be springing. God is not a vending machine. God is not a genie lamp. God is not at our beck and call to serve us. He's not Ask Jeeves. He's not Google. So we need to do less, and we need to intentionally seek his voice, and we need to practice. What am I talking about here? Practice. We're talking about practice. We're actually going to talk about practicing the presence of God. How many of you would be very intimidated if I said this week, go have an hour of solitude? First of all, moms are just like, oh, sweet, wait. An hour of solitude where I'm not hiding in the car parked? after I bought groceries and just haven't come in yet? No, like, I think an hour would probably be a shock to the system and we wouldn't know how to do it. So what about 10 minutes? Why don't we start with 10 minutes? If you can't do 10 minutes, then start with five. If you can't start with five, the point is we have to start where you are, not where you think you should be. I'm going to say that again. Wherever we're doing, if you think, oh, wow, you know what? I do need to be still, and I need to be silent, and I need to find some solitude. Start with one minute, and if you make it to one, then the next time, go for two. Or go back and see if you can replicate doing one minute of silence and solitude. And there's all sorts of ways we can do it. Maybe you set a time limit where you put your phone away for a while. Or maybe you put your phone to bed. You know, we put the kids to bed at 7.30. Put the, put the phone to bed at 8.30 and wake it up again in the morning after you've had coffee. Do something like that. Figure out some ways that work for you that aren't a, a 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds, but maybe just an incremental step to say, God... You matter, and I need to hear you. I need to see you. And I, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like a, a fence about to fall over, God, so I'm going to be silent and rest in you. Start with where you're at and what you can. And remember that a living, living a Jesus-following life is one that doesn't yield disciplines. It yields love. The disciplines are just a mechanism to get you to the life of love. So however you are, some of us are introverted people and and solitude comes natural to us. And some of us are extroverted and solitude is like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why am I in the corner having to wait? 
For some of us, we're so extroverted, we're saying, hey, let's all get together and have solitude together. That would be me. Just remember that leading a Jesus-following life is one that pursues the life of love. And just remember that we are doing this together with God, not to impress him, not to earn it, not to unlock a new level, not to play the Rubik's Cube where God will finally just shower his blessings upon us once we figured out all the riddles. No, it's it, the, the time with God is the goal. And the fruits of it are just that bonus. Remember, he is the power and the source. This psalm ends, um, it says, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. The NIV says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. So, friends, this week, I encourage you, carve out just a few moments. Whatever, wherever you're at, carve out. Find a secret place. Go for a walk. Go to a coffee shop. Find a little spot in your house or your apartment and just sit. If two minutes is too much, go for one. But if you can sit, just be with God. Let us be silent and rest in the one true God indeed. Amen? Lord, we know that um, we just think life is so complex, and we just think life has to have all these things, and we just get all, Lord, we, just, we are under a lot of expectations, and we get it all confused sometimes. So help us this week to slow down. Help us to this week open our eyes. Help us to be silent before you and see that you are you are still there and you have never left. Help us to see and experience that you are our deliverance. You are our strength. You are the rock and you are our refuge. We love you, Lord, and we seek you this week. Ask for your strength in Christ's name. Amen.